Before I start my message this morning, um, I want us to take some time to pray. <clears throat> uh, we've got a lot of folks out of town traveling right now. In fact, uh, uh, 10 of our 14 elder families are out today. Uh, and then we have a lot of folks that are ill. Um, Solomon Stutt uh, is in the hospital. And for 23 days, 24 days now, they've been trying to figure out what's going on. Pray for him today. Sage Strasner back in the hospital. Another child struggling through some illnesses. And then uh, right now we have a lot of our families that are struggling through COVID at different stages. So I want us to take time to pray today for them. But I want to do it in a little bit of a unique way. The book of James makes it clear that we are to pray for those who are sick and for those who ask for the elders to pray, to anoint them with oil and to pray over them. And the promise of scripture is that prayer of faith will cause them to be raised up. So we're going to do that today, but those folks are not here today. So I also want to take another principle of scripture because in the, in the gospels, there's a story of a Roman soldier who comes to Jesus and says, my servant is sick and Jesus says I'll come to your house and heal him and the servant says something amazing that amazes Jesus the soldier says there's no need for you to come to my house this one is under my authority if you just speak the word to me my servant will be healed wow Jesus, at the end of that conversation, says, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. <laughs> so today, we're going to combine those, those two truths into a simple act. I'm going to ask Lucas Glenn to come up and stand here. Lucas is well this morning. <laughs> He's not sick. But Lucas is going to represent all of those in our church family that are ill this morning. We are going to representatively pray for him or for them through him, through the name of Christ. Amen. You're with me so far? So I'm going to ask our elders that are here to come up. And we have some oil. And we're going to anoint Lucas with oil. And it will be on behalf of every person in our church that is sick, that is struggling. Amen. Amen. So Brad's going to apply this oil. There's nothing magical per se about the oil, but the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The oil is symbolic of the presence of God. The oil is symbolic of the anointing and calling of God upon each of our members' lives. The oil is symbolic of the calling we have to stand righteous and holy and free. The oil is symbolic of the healing power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in their lives. Amen? So as Brad applies the oil, if you'll bow your heads, we will pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, in faith we come to you. We come to pray for those in our church family that are struggling this morning. We pray for Solomon. We pray for Sage. We pray for each person, each family who's struggling with COVID. We pray for other families that are walking through illness and have asked us to pray for them. 
This morning, Father, we lift them up to you in the name of Jesus. We know that you are the one who heals and has the power to change and restore their health and bring them back to full health and strength. So, Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus this morning. And, Father, where there is a spirit of infirmity, we call that spirit out and tell him he has to leave because these children, these family members, they belong to you, Lord. So I pray that you would bring healing to them in the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus, that there would be health and hope and life. I pray for the parents of these children who are wondering what to do next. I pray for clarity. I pray for hope. I pray for direction. I pray for the assurance of your presence there with them, for peace in their midst, that they might have the confidence of knowing you are the one who is with them today, giving direction and hope and healing. So, Father, I'm thankful that we can come to you through the name of Jesus, through our Lord and Savior. Also, thank you for Lucas standing in on behalf of those this morning so that we have a visual picture of all who are struggling this morning. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for church family that we care, we love, and we represent your hands. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you all very much. We are in our second week now of our series, The God Who Restores All Things. And I'm grateful that he does. Amen? Yeah. You know, God has written into the fiber of uh, eternity, I believe, uh, a love for and a desire for restoration. We like it when things that are broken get fixed. Amen? Yeah, I do, around the house. Uh, I like it when I get to do some of that, you know? I get to be that guy that fixes the thing that was broken. Uh, we all like it when what has been destroyed gets rebuilt. We like it when there's beauty that comes from ashes. Uh, it's written into the, like I said, the fiber of creation. Every great movie has a storyline that has catastrophe in it, right, and a resolution to it. Nobody likes to watch a movie that's just catastrophe from the beginning to catastrophe at the end where there's no hope. We like the movies that have tension and resolve. Great music in the chord structure has tension and resolve. They all work that way. Every great story that someone tells has a character, some tension, and some resolve. Anytime someone goes up and tells those stories, like, man, you won't believe what happened to me the other day. There's the setup, there's the character, and they start telling their story. Man, I was in this situation, and I didn't know how in the world I was going to get out of it. The tension. And then at the end, you say, but man, some amazing things happened. God worked in my life in this way. This thing happened. I figured this out. God showed me how to resolve the, the situation, and it got resolved. And you're like, oh, great story, man. That's awesome. There's always a character, tension, and resolve. This is how God has written eternity. We love that. And it was all a setup for what Jesus would do for us. Tension because of our sin. Resolve through the cross and the resurrection. Tension as it came down to every one of us. What will you do with Jesus? The resolve that we believe by faith. And he comes in and cleanses and forgives us. Amen? The tension that we still wait for all the resolve to happen. Heaven one day, the resolve of all things at the feet of Jesus. Amen? Restoration is built into the fiber of eternity. It's part of what God has done. 
So we started last week with a, a pretty significant principle. I want to bring that back up today. We're going to build upon this. So here's the principle we looked at last week, that, re, that God restores by always giving more to you of what was lost or taken from you. If you remember last week from our message, our guys up here, and there was a sheep owner, and then there was a thief. You remember that? And the, the, the sheep owner had one sheep, and someone came and stole his sheep. But the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant law said that if someone had a sheep stolen from them and that sheep was either sold or destroyed, that the one who stole had to repay, had to restore not one sheep, but four sheep for the one sheep. God wrote into the fiber of the law in the Old Testament, restoration. God always restores more than what was lost or taken from you. It was written into the law, and it's written into the gospel as well. What you and I lost because of our own sin, what we had taken from us because of what others had done to us, God always restores in greater form than what we lost or had taken from us. And we built that upon a verse from Romans last week, and it says this, that where grace abounded, I'm sorry, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. This is true. This is how God works. Where sin abounds in the thief, the theft of the sheep, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. What you did in your own sin, God applied grace to. He brought grace to you so that there could be more grace given to you than what you had lost or had taken from you. This is God's principle of restoration. This is how he works in all of our lives. You received far more when you were saved than what you had lost in your sin. So it works like this in our life because we're all in this process of restoration. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is at work in you. He is restoring more to you than you ever lost or had taken from you. So here's, a, here's some principles that are necessary as you think through this. First, God first restores our soul to Christ. This is the thing that God wants more than anything else. You might have had some things happen in your life that have been very painful. In fact, I know you have, not because I've been reading your email, but because I know you're a person, right? We've all lost some things and had some things taken from us. When that happens, God wants to restore us first to him. You've experienced guilt, shame, bitterness, fear, anxiety, depression, whatever it might have been in your life. God wants to restore you, but he'll do it first in your relationship to him. He restores your soul to Christ first. Second, outward restoration begins in this life. God begins the process of restoration. Sometimes we get to see the fulfillment of that in this lifetime, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes the process begins, and as it says in the book of Hebrews about all the great men and women of faith in the Old Testament, it says, these all died having not yet received the promise. There are some things that God will restore ultimately in eternity, and that's what creates in us a longing for heaven. Amen? So these are important as we walk through this process here, but you have to wonder sometimes, God how come there are some people who don't see restoration? How come there are some who never get to experience that in their life? 
Great question. I'm really glad you asked because it's important for us to consider. Again, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has begun the process. But why don't some people see it happen? How come some people don't get to see restoration? We're going to attempt to answer that question today, and I'll start with a verse, and then we're going to look at a story. The verse comes to us from the New Testament, and it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This tells us so much about what God is looking for when he begins the process of restoration. God wants to restore lives and hearts. But in order for that to happen, to be a candidate for restoration, it requires humility. God gives grace. He gives it to the humble. Now, you'll notice the first part of the verse says, God resists the proud. You see, when God is looking for those that he will do restoration in, he's looking for those whose hearts will be soft, humble, seek him, put aside their own opinions, interest, ego, and self, and say, God, whatever you want to do is what I want to do. To those, God always restores. So this brings us to our principle that frames this day today and a story that we will build on. God begins restoration when we choose to humbly receive and follow him without hesitation. To shorten it, restoration comes to those who will humbly receive without hesitation. Get rid of the hesitation and you'll see some restoration. So, let's look at a passage of scripture, talk about a story this morning from a message I'm calling today from desperation to restoration. And our passage today comes from 2 Samuel 12. So go ahead and turn your Bible there. Um, I'm going to walk through this story. You'll want to read along and follow with me in your Bible. If you've got an app you want to use, help yourself. Uh, I'm going to have some verses on screen this morning, but not a lot because I'm going to move kind of quickly through a passage here. The story today is about a man that's probably one of the most well-known men in Scripture. This man's name is David. David is the man who defeated the giant Goliath. David is the man who, at this point in his life, is some 50 years old. Yeah, he's around my age at this point, all right? He has been a king for about 20 years at this point. He has um, grieved the loss of the former king, Saul, and his son, Jonathan, who is best friends with. He's been firmly established as king. He has... He has brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, and God has so been approving of David that God makes a covenant with David and says, I'm going to bless you. Because you have sought me, because you've followed me, because your heart's been humble, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you and your reigning as king great. I'm going to bless you and your descendants, and I'm going to bring peace on the land. And David is blessed because of this. 
But David, though all of that had happened to him, David made a bad choice as a follower of God. You see, a chapter earlier, it tells the story of how David was at home one evening when his soldiers had gone out to battle. And he walked out on his back porch of his castle and he looked and he saw a young woman bathing and he lusted after her and he had someone go and get her and he committed immorality with her, sent her away. She sent word back that she was pregnant. David tried to come up with a plan because this woman was the wife of one of his elite soldiers. And so David panicked and David said, I've got to find a way to get him back here to sleep with his wife, to cover up what I've done and try to make things at least look a certain way so that I won't be implicated, David thought. And he tried to have the guy, he brought the guy back and tried to have him go sleep with his wife. But this man was such an honorable man. He said, I cannot sleep with my wife while my soldiers are still out at battle. And he slept outside her door. David said, oh, man, okay, plan B, I've got to do something else. I know what I'll do, David said. I'll get him drunk. He'll get so wrapped up in his moment that he'll have to end up going back to his wife and sleep with her, and it'll fix this whole thing, David thought. He got the man drunk, or he brought the man in to have him get drunk, and the man would not, would not give in and go back to his wife. And David's like, now what am I going to do? So David... In a, in a fleshly, completely wrapped up in yourself, even evil way of thinking thought, I'm going to send him back out to battle. And I'm going to have the other soldiers go out to the front lines with him and then have them retreat and leave him out there exposed and alone. And they did. And word came back that that man died. <sighs> This didn't really fix everything because even though David thought he had covered his tracks, God saw all of it and God knew all of it. And you're not going to hide from him. So David brought Bathsheba to himself, married her. She gave birth to a child. And the Spirit of God would not let David rest. And so David sat in his guilt. David sat in his sin, hiding, running, denying he had done anything wrong. And God began to move because God always wants to restore even when we have totally failed. Amen? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And the Holy Spirit begins to hunt David down to bring him back to restoration. We start in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, Hey, David, I got a story for you. There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man, he had but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. How about that? 
the poor man had one sheep. Remember our story from last week. It says, um, and he brought it up and he nourished it. And it grew up together with him and his children. This man doesn't just have a sheep. He has a sheep that's a pet. And his kids know him. And the family knows him. And they love him. And they're always together. This poor man and his children and the sheep. It says it ate its own food and drank from its own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. This man loves his little pet sheep. It says in verse 4 that a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. So the rich man has a lot of sheep and the the traveling man comes in and says, hey, do you mind if you just, you know, prepare a meal for me? And the rich man says no. And it says instead he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. He went and took from the poor man his sheep, his one sheep, his family pet sheep, his one that he held and loved and cared for. The rich man took it from him. Verse 5, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. David's listening to this story, and, and this is what sin will do to you. It'll blind you to what's happening right in front of you. The Holy Spirit set this whole thing up, and David's just like, just missing it all. And it, but he buys into this story. He's like, oh, I can't believe that guy would do that. Who does he think he is taking that one man's little sheep? You know, David gets all upset. Verse 5, David's anger is greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who's done this, he should surely die. Verse 6, look at this. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb. There it is. There's that law again. David knew it. He said, he took his sheep. He should restore, but he should restore four for the one. Because that's the law of restoration. If you take one, you should owe four back to him. Verse 6, second part. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that been too little, I would have given you much more. That verse has just stuck out to me this week. There was so much more that God wanted to do in David's life. He said, I would have, I gave you so much, I would have given you more. Verse 9, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. And you killed with the sword, uh, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives from before your eyes. I will give them to your neighbor and and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. 
What you do in secret, God will do before all. He will expose. And Nathan lays it out for David. And David, all of a sudden, gets it. The picture becomes clear. Now he knows who the little sheep was. Now he knows who the sheep owner was. Now he knows who the thief was. And in verse 13, you begin this hinge moment that determines all that will happen next. Because here's the truth. Though we might look at this story and say, wow, that dude was messed up. I want us to all look into the mirror of Scripture first and say, that dude is all messed up, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Don't get on your spiritual high horse this morning and think you're better than David in this situation. We have all sinned against the Lord. We are all deserving of judgment. We are all deserving of death. Amen? But where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And what happens next will determine whether David will be restored or whether David will just experience tragedy and judgment all the rest of his life because that's what he deserved. Verse 13 says this. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is the humble response to the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and says, you have sinned. David could have said, well, I mean, I mean, you know, it's been a long time since I've really had the companionship of somebody, and I just felt like I really needed this, you know. All the guys were gone, and I was kind of this low point in my life. He could have defended himself. He could have justified his actions. He could have blamed somebody else. He could have done a lot of things, but David did the right thing. He just stopped and said, I have sinned against the Lord. This is the place where restoration starts. If you want God to restore your life, then it means being so pointedly honest with God that you will say, I have sinned. This is where it starts. This applies in every situation. This applies in a marriage. This applies in parenting. This applies in your finances. This applies in your own emotional health. It begins with refusing to blame someone else, refusing to justify yourself, but be incredibly honest about you and say, I have sinned. Now, what goes on is that Nathan describes to David and says, as a result of this, honesty and your confession, your humility, you shall not die. I'm sure David breathed a sigh of relief in that moment. But Nathan went on to David and said, but you have given an occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You've brought great dishonor to the name of the Lord, to the name of Israel, and to the name of your family. And as a result of this, you're going to have a, 
or Bathsheba will have a baby. But David, this baby is going to die. Now, let me just clarify something. Not every baby's death is a result of someone's sin in their life. Do you hear me this morning? This was a unique situation under a unique set of circumstances. Do not bear guilt this morning for something that may have happened in your life, a choice that you may have made. You hear me? Amen? There's covering, there's healing, there's grace. This is a unique situation for David under an old covenant. So as we continue the story, David is obviously broken. David begins to pray. He's fasting and praying because even though he's heard Nathan say these words, he's going to cry out to the Lord to save this baby. And David goes into deep mourning, repentance, crying out to God. And then David's servants get the news. The baby died. And they said, how in the world can we go tell David? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the one to go in and tell him. Who knows what he'll do? Who knows what will happen? And they got the courage, and they went in and told David. And verse 19 ends with the words, he is dead. Sometimes we find ourselves in moments just similar to that where we have absolutely blown it. We have failed. And then things have happened to us that make us wonder, how could there ever be good again? You look at David's life, and I'm sure David must have thought, how can any good thing come from this? How can anything great follow this moment? I've blown it. I've, I've ruined my reputation. I've ruined my life. I've ruined the name of our nation. I've ruined the title of the king. I've brought shame on the name of the Lord himself. How in the world could I experience anything good after this? But David knew that he served a good, merciful, and gracious God. And he knew because we have Psalms like Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 that tell us David's remorse and repentance. Where David wrote, created me a clean heart, O God. Cried out for God to remove the iniquity. Cried out for God to cleanse him and change him. And David believed in that grace. And David believed in that mercy. And as a result, he poured out his heart to the Lord. And then what happens next is where we're going to camp out for just a moment in one verse. Verse 20. Verse 20 gives us this moment 
of great intimacy, of great connection with God, of great change in David's life. Verse 20 says this. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house. This verse right here gives us the background on what you and I are to do if we want to experience restoration in our life. You've failed. You've had things done to hurt you deeply. Life hasn't followed the path you thought it was going to take. And tragedy has struck. Pain has come. And you wonder how there could ever be restoration. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And those who will receive that grace will experience restoration. <clears throat> you know, Heather and I have had some conversations about this over the past week or two. Um, wondering, okay, well, how come some people, even Christians, don't experience this kind of restoration in their life? How come they go through their own personal failure and sin and how come they go through hurts and trials and things happen to them but they never get to the place of restoration. Look, the New Testament says, the grace of God has appeared to all men in the form of Jesus Christ. Grace is available, but look, grace only changes hands and is given to someone when that person is humble and will receive it. Those are two different things. I can have grace available, but if I offer it to Lucas and I make grace available and Lucas just sits there, grace hasn't impacted his life. Grace is available, but if Lucas humbles himself and receives what I give to him, then restoration can occur when you receive it. And date, thank you, Lucas. We're just using Lucas up today, yeah. That, that handoff right there is so critical. That explains why some people never experience it and other people do. Because it takes great humility to open up and lift your hands up and receive what God has for you. So here in this one verse, I want to break this down. It's a beautiful description of what ignited restoration in David's life. Look at this. It, the first part says, so David arose from the ground. David had been on the ground praying for seven days, the Bible says. He'd been laid out broken, repenting of his sin. He, he knew that what he had done had caused this baby's death. And he's begging God. He's repenting of his sin. He's broken. He's on the ground, literally. This is not figurative. This is literal. He is laid out, repenting. But when he prayed, and when he knew the baby had died, he knew it's time 
It's time to move forward. Grace calls me to get up. Stop wallowing in the sin because the sin has been paid for by the lamb. Stop wallowing. So many Christians live with their sins on auto loop in their life, in their mind, just playing over and over and over again like a bad TikTok video. It's just playing over and over and over again. It doesn't stop. They keep pushing play on it, and it keeps playing, and the gospel comes along and says, stop. It is finished. That has been paid for. You've received grace. Erase that tape. Get rid of it. Delete that TikTok. It's done. Amen? Get up. Get up off the ground of your guilt. Get up off the ground of your shame. Get up off the ground of your past and walk forward. David got up from the ground. Second thing David did, it says he washed. Mm. See, it was common in that day. And it happens really in our day too when you go through a time of grief and mourning and loss. But for David, it was more... Um, part of the practice of his faith to not bathe during this time that you're mourning and grieving and to cover yourself in sackcloth and ashes and seven days at least have gone by maybe even more and David is just he's, he's filled with stink up at this point time has passed he's physically smelly he's spiritually smelly but at this point, he knows my sin has been paid for. The lamb has overcome. I've been washed. My soul's been cleansed. God, you restore my soul. I'm going to get up and wash. And David physically took a bath. He washed and cleansed himself. Because he had been spiritually cleansed, he physically cleansed himself. He got up and washed away the gunk, the junk, the nasty, he put aside his past and said, now, I'm not going to walk anymore in that. I'm going to get up and walk forward in faith. He washed. The third thing says he anointed himself. This is not just he decided to put on some new cologne that day and some new deodorant. Anointing was a process of applying uh, scented oil, much like we just did up here today. And for David, he was putting on oil because it was good for his skin, but he was also putting on and anointing himself with oil because David had been anointed as a king. David had Samuel apply the oil to him. David knew what the calling was. David remembered in this moment who he was, and he anointed himself. He put the oil back on and said, I do not deserve it, but I have been called. I have been chosen. The king of all kings has called me as a king, and I will anoint myself and remember who I am, and I'll walk in that anointing. I'll walk in the calling. I'll walk in my purpose. I won't walk in my past. I'll walk in my future purpose. I won't walk in my guilt. I'll walk in the forgiveness that's mine because of what the lamb has done. And David anointed himself. The next thing it says that he changed his clothes. He had been wearing the clothes of grief. He had been wearing the clothes of sorrow. He had been wearing the clothes of repentance and sackcloth, rough, dirty, 
ash-filled clothes. And David said, you know what? It's time for a change. It's time for me to change who I am. It's time to change what I do. And I'm going to put on a new set of clothes. It's interesting in the New Testament that we as believers are called to put off the old man like a pair of clothes or a garment to put off the old man and put on the new man in Jesus Christ. You put on like you have been made. Amen? You put on clothes of righteousness, not because you've earned it, but because he gave it to you. He made you that. By faith, you've been made righteous, and so you start dressing and walking and talking righteous. Amen? That's the way it works. And so David says, I'm going I'm to walk in righteousness now. I'm going to change my clothes. I'm going to go a different path. I'm not going to go down that path anymore. I'm tired of all my sin and the shame and the guilt in the past. Now I'm going to walk as a servant of God. He changed his clothes. But the next thing it says is that he went to the house of the Lord. Now, David didn't have a church building like you and I have today. David had the temple, the temple of God, where they offered sacrifices, where there was continual fire out front going up of, of sacrifices that had been made, where the Spirit of God dwelt in that place, where there was a pillar of fire at night and there was a cloud by day that led the people. And they, he, God spoke to his people through the priests that were there and David goes to that place. David didn't say, you know, I've had a pretty good week. I think I'll go to the house of the Lord. <laughs> he had a bad week. It had been terrible. But that drove him to seek God. It's funny how people think today often, even Christians they have a week that didn't go so well. They end up giving in to some temptations that they wish they hadn't. They got some guilt in their life and maybe it even happened on Saturday night. And they think the next morning, I'm not going to church because I've had a terrible week. What do you think this is? You think we come here to show off our spiritual successes? No. We came here because this is the place we gather as sinners to cry out to the God who gives all grace. Amen? That's why we come here. So please, if you had a bad, if you have something tragic happen this next week, if you fall into sin, God forbid, next Saturday night, get up and get here next Sunday morning, amen, to get some encouragement and some hope and some help and receive some encouragement from other folks who have walked down the same path and cry out to the one who can redeem and restore us, amen? Yeah. Um, our daughter Holly used to, um, I won't name the school and I won't name the situation. She used to go to, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but I don't want to implicate anybody either. She was, uh, after high school, I'll say that. She was in a training school, I'll say that. And she met a lot of people there and their storyline often during the week was, especially as it got to Friday, man, this has been one of a week. I'm just, I... And she's like, okay, really? Yeah, man, we went out last night and we, you know, all this stuff. You know, it's all this, they tell all this stuff and they said, next sentence, I've got to get to church tomorrow because I've had a of a week. Wow. That's <laughs> crazy. I hope you're not using church to try to pay off your bad week either. That's not the point. The point is there is grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. David knew that and he said, I've got to get to the presence of God. 
I've got to get to where there's hope. I've got to go where sacrifices are made. I've got to go where there's other people who are worshiping the Lord. I've got to get to that place. And the last, the next, the last thing David said, he said that he went there and he worshiped. He worshiped. David didn't go to the house of the Lord and try to look good and try to pretend everything was okay. David didn't go there to try to show off how spiritually he was. David went there and with his full heart, he opened up and he worshiped the God who could restore him. And he received from the God who restores all things love, forgiveness, and mercy. And he allowed him to restore him. You know, our staff and especially Caleb and I, when we talk about our worship services and we're planning these things and we're praying and talking and choosing the music and the transitions and the speaking parts and the lights and the sound, every bit of that, all of that, we've prayed through, we've talked through because we want to create a moment where we all open our hearts with nothing held back and worship our almighty God. That's what our desire is for all of us. Not to pretend, not to put on, but to fully receive what God has and with humble hearts worship the king. Amen? David did all of this. I love the fact that it's packaged up in one verse. But I love the last thing that he did in this verse. Then he went to his own house. David did all of that. And then he took what God did in, did in him and he took it home. He went home with it. He lived it out. He went home to do what's right. He went home to love his wife. He went home to live out this faith. He went home to live out this restoration. He went home to live out the very thing he had been lifting up. Amen? So taking a long story, making it short, what happens next is beautiful to me. This whole passage, I just love it. I love the fact that God restores. Here's what happens in verse 21. It says next that then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and he went into her and lay with her so she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. David took home what God did in his life, and he went home and he loved his wife like he was supposed to. He did the right thing. And out of that love, out of this worship place, out of God restoring his heart first, she became pregnant. And they had a son, and his name would be named Solomon. Now, what's interesting to me is that though you and I know that Solomon would be the next king, that Solomon would write Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, some of it, and the Song of Solomon, that Solomon would go on to become one of the wisest men who ever lived. Solomon 
at this point, was the 10th child born to David. David would go on and have 11 more that we at least know of. But look, up to this point, David had nine other children who all could have been the next king, but it's Solomon who becomes the next king. It's Solomon who has the favor of God upon him. It's Solomon who will write so much of what we have in our Bible. It is Solomon that God will bless as he reigns next in Israel because God took the place that David had failed the most miserably and he brought out of that place a new vision, a new hope. He birthed something new. He birthed someone new and God gave him Solomon out of the place of his greatest tragedy. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Wherever you have experienced the greatest loss in your life, the greatest pain that you think could never be restored, that you think could never be healed, look, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And God can cause with the place of your pain to have something birthed into it that's greater than what you could have imagined. David could have never foreseen all that was gonna happen in Solomon's life, but God brought it to pass because God restores where there has been pain. The other thing I'm sure David struggled with was his own heart. He knew what he had done. He knew the vile thoughts. He knew the vile actions. And he must have thought, God, how could you ever restore in me what I so greatly messed up? But I believe because of what David did in acknowledging he had sinned, what David did in walking through those steps of verse 20, God did something great in David. So great that in the New Testament book of Acts, when they referred to David, they would say, here is David, a man after God's own heart. God restored even his heart to be one that pursues and is like the Lord himself. Hey, wherever you have failed today, whatever you have done or whatever has been done to you, there can be restoration. God can do more than what you thought he could do in your life. And He'll do it when you'll come humbly to him. This is the requirement. You come humbly to him and watch what he does next. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you that in the midst of our greatest pain, our own sin, shame, you bring beauty. You take what's broken and you heal and you restore in even greater ways than we could have imagined. I thank you for this story today from scripture. I pray it would be more than just a story. I pray it would be real for us that in our humility, we would do what David did 
eliminate the blame and the justifying and seek you with our whole heart. And then I believe, based on the promises of your word, that you will do greater things than we could ever imagine because you are the God who restores all things. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to conclude our service with uh, another baptism. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. God has been restoring lives here at Vertical. And uh, it's a variety of ages. Uh, You're going to see a variety of ages over the next several weeks. Folks who have trusted the Lord and are walking in faith with him. This morning, I want to invite up here with me, Eli Johnson. Eli, come on up. Mom, come as well. So a couple weeks back at, uh, at VBS, uh, he pulled me aside and we started talking. Hey, come over here, Eli. Come stand with me. Yeah. There you go. Take a look at all these folks out here. They're smiling. They're happy for you. They are. They're not, they're not mean or scary, right? Yeah, yeah. And Eli and I talked, and uh, he's put his faith in Jesus Christ. I told you last week that you were going to see some children over the next few weeks who have come to the Lord. And they're not doing it because they saw someone else do it. They're sincere and they're genuine. And uh, they've, been, they've talked about this at home as well. And mom testifies to that, that this desire of his to serve the Lord and follow the Lord is real. In the best ways that a, how old are you? Nine-year-old. In the best way that a nine-year-old can, he understands the gospel as far as I can tell and understand myself. So I'm grateful for him. And so Eli, we're gonna we're gonna take you up here. We're gonna do some baptism, right? Man, he desires to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be a young man who walks with him all of his days. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go up here, Eli. Come on, let's go this way. If you've got family that wants to come join you up here, they're welcome to, or you can come on up. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, you can slip your shoes off there, Eli. family out there that loves you as well. Yeah, let's spin back around this other way though. There we go. Good. Eli, I'm excited about your decision to follow Jesus Christ. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. I know that. And you know that. And you want to follow him with your life, don't you? Well, I'm grateful. Today I baptize you in these waters that are a picture of what Jesus did for us and a picture of your old life and your new life. Eli, I baptize you as my brother in Christ. You are buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life.